Does the channel provide value? Focus on the foundation. I am a travel vlogger. It's always about communication. Build those partnerships. What are the problems that you solve for your clients? Just being ahead on the technological side of things. Leading an organization. You not only want to survive, but you want to thrive. They said it wouldn't last, and they said that you can't drive profitable and incremental revenue through the affiliate channel. But here we are, 20 years later, and the affiliate channel is alive and kicking and generating profitable revenue for thousands of retailers across the globe. Hi, I am Jamie Birch, your host of the Profitable Performance Marketing Podcast, where we talk to some of the industry's best and brightest about their careers, about leadership, and about how to drive profitable revenue through the affiliate channel. Hello, I am your host, Jamie Birch, CEO and founder of the award-winning affiliate marketing agency, JEB Commerce. Uh, today, we have a special guest, longtime friend, Candace Nobles. She's currently the CMO at Papers and Ink Studio in San Francisco, California. So no uh, advertisement today, no talk about any other resources available to you. This conversation stands on its own. Uh, Candace and I had known each other for a long time. We spent maybe 10 years not in contact, but I'm so glad that we were able to get back in touch and have this conversation today. So we talk about a lot of things. We talk about race, diversity, and equity. Uh, in the professional world and the affiliate and digital marketing spaces. We talk about marijuana marketing uh, and we talk about leadership and career advancement. There's a lot in this. In fact, I think it's our longest uh, podcast to date. And that is even with uh, trimming some of the questions that I didn't even get to ask. So I think you're going to find this conversation amazing. Uh, and I am, I'm proud to have Candace, uh, as a friend and on this podcast, and I'm just going to get out of the way and let you guys enjoy my conversation with Candace Nobles. All right. With me today is Candace Nobles. Candace, thank you so much for joining us on the Profitable Performance Marketing Podcast. Thanks so much for having me. And how are you today? I'm doing well. I'm excited to have this conversation with you today. Yeah, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. I know we went seemingly like 15 years without uh, uh, being in touch, but uh, was excited to, uh, I asked my team, who should I interview? And Chris Park, uh, your, was, your, your name was his first uh, on my list. So uh, very excited. I'm excited too. I love Chris. Yeah, Chris is great. He's uh, he's been in the industry uh, really since it began, um, and we're glad to have him on our team. He's one of our senior affiliate managers, and and uh, a uh, also a fellow uh, Pennsylvania native like myself. Uh, so yeah, he's he's fantastic, and and you've known each other for this entire period of time as well. Yep. Awesome. Well, how has this last year, this crazy tumultuous uh, year, been for you? Well, I guess it's been an interesting year for everyone. And for me personally, the years that preceded 2020 were sort of trying. So I felt like it was a good preparation for what 2020 had to offer. Mm -hmm. um, it's been really nice to take a time out of all the usual commitments. But at the same time, I really miss you know seeing friends, enjoying live music and being able to give my loved ones a hug. Amen to that. My wife and I, we were sharing a story of uh, one of the concerts we went to in 2019 and then realized, oh, yeah, concerts. Those yeah. were great. <laughs> I miss them so much. 
my husband and I were talking about it as a major part of our lives. Like we went to see live music at least once a week. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> We've, we were on a tear of uh, like really well-known bands that we didn't want uh, to miss that now that they were touring. So uh, going back to my 80s uh, long hair days, uh, you know, Guns N' Roses and and uh, Metallica and, and following the tradition my father set, uh, we've taken our kids to those. Awesome. Yeah. Now, you have you worked remote? Was 2020 kind of an intro to to being remote or you've you already comfortable in that, uh, very that environment? Remote work. Um, I've been a big fan of it. In fact, one of the companies I worked for a while back um, was in the space of remote work called the company was called Liquid Space. And so that really was my first deep dive into a fully remote team. And so since then, because I've been consulting and then the companies that I've worked with on a more long-term basis have all had me working with them on a remote basis. So I love working remote. I also enjoy going into the office and seeing people. But I think for me personally, there's some benefits to being at home. I feel like I can get a lot more done and get be a little bit more focused than when I'm, you know, going into the office every day. So I appreciate that about being able to work from home. And yeah, this 2020 in that way wasn't a big change for me. Yeah, I had been in our office for probably eight years, uh, nine years. Wow. And I think about that. And we closed it last, uh, I think, August. Uh, and I thought I was going to hate working at home. Uh, just uh, I thought my kids were going to be a distraction. They're homeschooled. Uh, and everyone would be a distraction. It turns out the opposite. I am everyone else's distraction. Uh, so, uh, but I found that I, I really love it. I started out um, uh, this company uh, essentially remote working in our house, uh, and I'm glad to glad to be back. But why don't you give us give our audience who doesn't know you um, or may not know you a little intro of yourself and what you're doing now, and uh, you know these steps uh, from the beginning to now. Yeah. So I was thinking about this earlier and I've been in the marketing industry for 25 years. Um, wow. So I spent that time helping companies acquire and retain customers. I'm currently the CMO at Papers and Ink Studio. And I still consult and advise other businesses that want to grow. Um, an another company I work with closely is called Jumble and Flow, which is a content site targeted to women um, going through the jumbles and flows of midlife. Um, and then I also, my husband and I, over the COVID period, started hand making handmade incense. And so we have soft launched uh, oh, wow. a site called F and Relax, where we plan <laughs> to grow into expand into other relaxing items. But with our first flagship thing is the handmade incense right now. Um, oh. So those are my three big things, you know, consulting, um, you know, papers and ink studio that takes a bit of time and then also advising jumble and flow. That's great. It sounds like you are, uh, uh, you don't have much spare time and are really busy. That's an interesting, um, uh, handmade incense. I didn't know there was much of a market for that. Well, we'll see. That's why I think, you know, certain things bring in the cash right now. Um, mm -hmm. there are other handmade incenses and for me, um, I think we'll probably talk about this more as part as how my multiple sclerosis relates to my career. But one of the other things I think is we're interested in what we put into our body. For me, I started thinking about what was in incense. I just was thinking about it one day. And then that's what led me. And I like to craft 
various things. If you're in my room right now, there's a lot of crafts going on. So um, <laughs> one of the, awesome. so that um, there is a market and I wanted to create something that's clean, also just made from only herbs and spices, um, excited, excited, and, you know, so, and without a stick, so there's no waste. Outstanding, outstanding. Well, it, it sounds like you have your hands full. Now, now, I got the benefit of hearing your you know, affiliate marketing, digital marketing origin story, uh, you know, from uh, Taiwan to Snapfish and, and then now to Jumble and Flow and Papers and Ink. But tell our audience, like, how did you get into uh, digital marketing? Uh, you know, t- tell us that story. Great. So I think it really, I'll start at the beginning because in college, I actually worked in the marketing department at a theater and the theater was a world-class theater. For example, the presidential debates were there and we hosted Broadway performances. My first day of work, Maya Angelou was one of the speakers. Um, Wow. Yeah. So I had the opportunity to work there in the marketing department where I learned a lot, including graphic design. Um, This was, you know, aging myself here, but this is in the early 90s. Um, And through that experience, I learned a great deal about marketing and also about the theater. But when I moved to San Francisco right after college, there wasn't a lot of jobs in the theater for someone with, you know, a couple of years of experience, but there was more going on with marketing. So I ended up landing a job at an advertising agency. And then I moved on to a small company that help people find apartment rentals, rentals, I'm sorry. Um, and while I was there, that was where I did my first online deal. We were the, the search partner for AOL. So when AOL back in the day had digital cities, um, when you went to search in Berkeley for an apartment, we were the service that, um, you, that facilitated that search. And so that piqued my interest in online marketing and whatnot. And I ended up leaving California and moving back to Michigan. And while I was there, um, I met a man and we talked about moving and thinking about the future. And for me, I hadn't really traveled out of the country very much. So it was an opportunity to get away. So I went to Taiwan and taught ESL for a year. And while I was there, I'll be honest with you, I found that I really liked working with adults. I love the, the kiddos, but you know, we you start thinking about your life and what are you doing? And I wanted to get back you know, to my career and also thinking about what I wanted that to look like when I got home. And so I was reading a lot about what was happening online. And so I made it my mission to come back to America and find a job, you know, working on this on the Internet, um, as we talked about it back then. And so um, when I got back to America, I went on hot jobs. Remember that? Um, I do. Yeah. And, wow. search, and, and search for an online marketing job. And I ended up finding performance and where that was a good fit at that time for my skill set and where I was as they were looking for someone to help with B2B marketing. And although I didn't have all of the skills required for the job, I had helped sales teams make sales packets. I had built websites um, with, you know, with when I was back in Michigan And so I made a a presentation about myself uh, when I landed the interview. And so I made a sales presentation about myself and my experience. And I landed the job. My coworkers from Performix, they make fun of me about that presentation to this day. Um, No, I think they make make fun of you because they didn't think about it. 
and yeah. they're jealous because that sounds like a phenomenal idea. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, I meant rib me in a good way. I don't mean yeah. me in a bad in a bad way at all. That's um, great. So that's really how I landed in, into the specifically in the affiliate marketing space, um, which was really exciting to me. A real exciting time. I feel like I learned so much. I met made really good friends and. You know, when you look at various parts of your life and your career, that's the time I looked fondly on. With that yeah. said, um, Chicago was cold. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and again, I fell in love and I and I there was part of me that wanted to move back to the Bay Area. So when I was at um, Performix, I was able to find a job here in San Francisco. Um, I'm not sure if I told you this story, but this was back before we had Skype and everything. Yeah. So I interviewed by, you know, I sent a letter with my resume and interviewed over the phone. And, you know, we didn't really talk about, obviously, why would you bring up my ethnicity? Mm. Um, so that job, I showed up and I think it's a little bit funny now that nobody knew I was a black person. <laughs> they were a little surprised then. Oh, totally. It was funny. I mean, we can we still can talk about that today because it was very, very interesting. Great. Fortunately for me, it was the Bay Area and a great team. It wasn't like it was an issue. Um, yeah, it was just an interesting, funny fact that happened there. And while I was at that job, I and how I ended up, you know, um, really leading a, my affiliate marketing at Snapfish was when I was at that company. There was a woman that I worked with whose um, then boyfriend, now husband, was um, in the leadership team at Snapfish. And she suggested that they that I interview there because they were looking for a person to do affiliate marketing. And even though I was in a B2B role um, at a different type of software company, she and I would talk and geek out about affiliate marketing. Uh, she had an affiliate site and we would just talk about things, you know, on our lunch and nerd out that way. So again, this is another time where I didn't have direct experience managing affiliate programs, but I learned so much at Performix, um, you know, in terms of reading about the industry, I was doing our publisher newsletters, you know, working with sales to attract marketers. So I really knew what marketers were doing online. And I was able at, to go to Snapfish and put everything I learned into practice. It's kind of like, you know, if performance was college, was my university, mm-hmm. I was able to put those skills to work for real and real in a real practical way at Snapfish. And when yeah. I began at Snapfish, the, they had an affiliate program, but, you know, they were doing nothing. You've seen many programs like this. Where mm-hmm. I think a lot of times people don't really even know what you need to do. You know, it's something yeah. that you need to do, but you don't know all of the things that really make an affiliate program run well, like things I learned at performance, like building relationships, um, what kind of offers attracted people. So I was able to take that affiliate program to getting a few customers to month, a month to about 10,000 customers, uh, new um, customers per month by the time wow. I left. Um, and I, you know, I still count that as a career accomplishment because, you know, A, it was fun and it was really interesting to dig in and figure a lot of things out because at that time, things weren't where they are today with marketing automation and mm-hmm. tools like, you know, I had to actually, 
you know, go to an engineer and get reports to get the data that I needed and whatnot. Yeah. And then working and overcoming some of the things that were really new at that time, whether it was web analytics and working with the team to implement web analytics and those types of things. So it was really fun 360 to dig in because it wasn't even just about really managing the affiliates in the program, but also working with the executive team to create that understanding, working with, you know, product and engineering, whether it's to get creative or to even get the pixel integration. You know, at that time, things, again, I keep saying at that time, like a, a person, <laughs> back, in the day. Was, back in the day, it wasn't as easy as it is now. So that was yeah. really, you know, an interesting and fun time for me. And that's where I was really deep in the, in the affiliate marketing world. And um, so after Snapfish got acquired, I stayed on with the company for a couple of more years. And just to be frank with you or with your audience, I felt like I wanted to grow. And I also wanted to go back to a more early stage startup. At that time in my life, I felt like, you know, there's something again about rolling my sleeves up. And I think I like problem solving and figuring, figuring things out. And there's only so much to do as programs mature and yeah. as the product matures. So I wanted to go back. And I'm also was really interested in working with new technologies. And so that's how I ended up going to a more early stage art startup that was working on the future of the internet at that time. And yeah. that was actually the first startup for me that where it wasn't a a success or didn't wasn't followed by an acquisition or something like that. And many people have said, like, how did you work in the Silicon Valley for so long without that happening? I'm not sure. But that's um, what's happening again. That was a real great learning, learning lesson for me. And so after that, I took a bit of a break. And then that's when I began consulting more and more still with tech companies. And then how I ended up where I am today with Papers and Ink. I actually met Carolyn Chu, the founder of, of Papers and Ink, through a, a friend that I worked with at Snapfish. And um, we were talking about, well, for me, I started opening more up about, about you know, some of the, the things that I was passionate about and the direction I wanted to go. And over the course of my career, you start, you know, learning and picking up on what makes you happy, what gets you going. I think mm -hmm. for me, it's tangible products. Um, I, when I think about the affiliate world and working in that time, I really do love online advertising and, and marketing and, you know, understanding how to acquire customers, what makes things work, understanding new technologies. Um, and so by consulting, I've been able to dabble in all of that. And then working now with Carolyn in a, in a, with a small team, it's kind of like rolling my sleeves up again, and then also working with a tangible product that, you know, we can build and take to market. Yeah. You know, there's two things that you said that do date you when you say back in the nineties and I do that all the time, but also when you start talking about, I want to get back to what I'm passionate about and also a sign of where you are in, in your career. I often think the, the, the same thing, uh, but I say back in the nineties, I'm almost, I'm getting real close to like, get off my lawn to being that guy. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I, I almost, <laughs> when you were saying, 
what we had to do, what you had to do at Snapfish to grab reports. I almost was going to say in these young whippersnappers today, <laughs> they don't <laughs> they don't know what that was like. Uh, but I remember my first job. Uh, we there was there was like absolutely no web reporting, and uh, I would get handed log files wow. and have to parse log files to give uh, hit counts. <laughs> you know, how many, how many hits to the website and traffic and all those, what, what, what pages were popular. So I totally, uh, totally get that. Um, but you did spend some time in Barcelona. I read, um, through your jumble and flow article that if you're okay with a link in our description here, which is one of my favorite places, I spent a short period of time there, but just fell in love with the country. What brought you there? So, as I mentioned just a moment ago at the company where, you know, things didn't go as well as some of the other places where I had been, um, I had some time off. I'd been laid off from there. So I was looking for somewhere to visit. And my neighbor and friend, Lori, who um, I had known in Chicago, she ended up moving across the hall here. And she did an apartment swap with a man in Barcelona. And so... While she was, she left before I did, and I had the opportunity to hang out with um, our our host. I'm sorry, with our host here in the in San Francisco, and get him oriented. Then I went over and met Lori in Barcelona, and then I stayed a week after Lori uh, Lori left, and then saw our host there. So it was a fun trip for me. I had I you know before when I said I hadn't traveled, went to Taiwan. Since then, I've traveled quite a bit. But, you know, I was looking for somewhere to just relax and hang out for a while and, you know, recoup. And I don't know, um, for other people who've been laid off, it's a weird feeling and sometimes shocking. It's the the first one for me. So it was a great place to reorient and relax and eat great food and, you know, spend time with my friend and spend some time. We each had time alone and time together there. So it was really great. Yeah, I totally get that. In the when the dot com bubble collapsed, um, I I had moved my family to Seattle, and uh, to eight eight nine months later, got laid off, and I I just remember it was uh, heart wrenching and uh, really hit your confidence. And you know, a lot of those times, it has nothing to do with the people there. Uh, for my two examples of going through layoffs, it was just you know the the business plan, the market. Uh, in the economy. So uh, I didn't get a chance to go away when that happened, but I can see how, you, you know, that would be uh, uh, just a great way to, to regroup. Yeah. And it's time. I think you hit on something there though, because in, in the instances when it has happened, it, you know, maybe it has something to do with you, but a lot of times it doesn't. And I think like we put so much into our career as a part of who yeah. we are it's can be jarring. And that's one of the things, you know, if I would have, I would tell my younger self, or even some of the things I contemplated when I was away on that trip, is that, you know, that isn't you, you are more than that. And, you know, also, it's not the end of the world, there'll be another job, you know, there'll be another, you know, other things will come. And I think, you know, as I grow older, and as I contemplate life, I really try, you know, trying to embrace being in this moment, and understanding, like, you know, no matter how much I've stressed out about of things, like almost lost it about whatever's happened in life, whether it's a yeah. job loss or, you know, back when I was dating, losing a partner, whatever it is, no matter how much the stress, the 
I don't call it sometimes performing, but no matter how much that stress or that energy that I put out there into sweating it, it doesn't help. And I always yeah. come back. You always come back on the other side. So it's just, I try to nowadays brief through it, go through it, understand where it is, accept the situation, accept it for what it is and not yeah. make up the other things that we can layer upon the situation and then try to keep it moving. And, you know, and also allow yourself to mourn that situation. It's okay mm -hmm. I to have emotions or you know, to mourn the situation, but, you know, really understand it for really what it is so that you can just keep going. You know, and I've, I've found the only, you know, I don't know what I would say to my younger self because I would, I would want myself not to go through those things, but mm -hmm. you can't build that resilience that it definitely sounds like you have, uh, unless you actually go through those difficult times to Michael Hyatt, uh, when COVID hit, I took a course from Michael Hyatt, uh, leadership, uh, uh, writer and thought leader. Uh, and one of his first things said is you've been through, uh, you've made it through a hundred percent of your worst days. And you don't really get to know how you're going to handle that. And that, you know what, this next one's not a big deal. Why? Because the other ones didn't turn out to be as big a deal. I made it through and you, you have to, we run from that struggle mm -hmm. and try to get comfortable and forget that there's so much value in going through those things and learning. And now, you know, it's unfortunate. We, it's tough to learn that at a young age, but uh, as I'm looking towards 50 here, not too far away from me, um, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm getting comfortable with some of these things that happen. It's so, yeah. Yeah. And I also, I had a coach would tell me, he called it, you, you mentioned it, uh, you know, get in, accept the reality. I think what you said, and that's the sooner you get to that, the easier it is. I had a, a coach, Joseph Shapiro, who would say, you know, don't put a head on your head. So, yeah, you're in a bad situation, but don't also feel bad that you're in the bad situation or, yeah. you know, don't like, I shouldn't be here. Or I, my biggest one is, well, my peer group, they're not dealing with any of this stuff. Mm. They had this figured out. Uh, and so that's another big thing. Like, to, you know, don't, uh, yeah, don't feel bad about where you're at and add to the, where you're at. Yeah, my best friend calls it the Bummer Olympics. She's like, why are you participating in the Bummer Olympics right now? And start piling it on. <laughs> Don't do that. Oh, I love that. Yeah. I love it and hate it at the same time because I do that. Now I, I do the Bummer Olympics. I'm, I'm going to share that. That's fantastic. Your friend is very smart. She is. I'm really lucky to have her. Yeah, it sounds like it. So there, when we when we had our prep call and, and we were talking about their things, there were three areas that I really wanted to dive into. We, we've kind of touched on uh, almost all of them right now, um, but I want to dive into your authentic self. And and there was so much there that we could talk to talk about. And then then I want to talk about. Uh, uh, you know, career advancement, how that relates to your authentic self, but also, um, well, I'll, 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 I'll pose my question when we get there, but, um, you know, talk to me about what that means, bringing your authentic self to the table. Um, and, and what's that journey been like throughout your career now, 25 years into it? Yeah. So when I think about that, one of the things is I, ha I did have a coach that I did work with on this back when I was in HP, and it's been something that I've been contemplating for a really long time. And I think personally, I compartmentalize my life in a way that I don't want to anymore. 
And whether it's like when I'm at, and I don't think I'm a bad person or anything. I don't do anything so wild and crazy that I don't want anyone to know, but I worry about people judging me, you know, cause mm-hmm. I'm always, I had a boss once tell me that I had a lot of challenges. We're in a performance review and, um, he was talking about that. I laugh a lot. You may have noticed I do do that. Um, and he told me that I shouldn't laugh so much because I have a lot of challenges. And I was like, okay, what are these challenges? And he said, you're black, you're a woman and you have weird hair. So he said, that doesn't leave you room to laugh in meetings, you know, and then think wow. about that. It also doesn't leave. And then with those parameters, it doesn't leave me a, a room for a lot. And it was a lot that I didn't understand, but I think that I subconsciously knew that, you know, being me, it wouldn't end doing the things that I was doing professionally and going where I wanted to go. That if I said that, you know, I love heavy metal music, I have tattoos and I smoke weed, I, you know, right there, I would be judged or canceled. Right. And instead of being seen as more of a Kamala Harris, I'd be seen more of a, I don't know, Cardi B or something like that. And not that anything's wrong with either of those women, but we have to know that in the settings and particularly working at, you know, a major corporation or something like that, people want to work with Kamala. Um, And that's, so for me, it's like understanding that I'm, that I can be myself and that I, and I don't have to always worry about, I guess we often worry about how people are going to judge you, but, you know, being who I am, that comes with a lot of judgments. And I think even earlier in my career, I didn't, again, I didn't fully understand it. We didn't talk about things like unconscious bias or yeah. and things of that nature back then. And I also didn't really realize that I was an only, but I did know growing up that, you know, the things that a lot of black kids hear that you have to be better, um, that you have to be right. And then, you, you know, you have to get into, you have to fit in to get in. Um, and so I think for me, I spent a lot of time, you know, kind of trying to square peg round, round hole the situation and not realizing that, you know, you can meet people or create a reality that uses all your, of your skills. Because again, you know, I do understand that I have a unique skill set and a unique interests. Um, like I mm-hmm. like, like, like I genuinely like data and marketing as much as I like other things, yeah, uh, maybe more even, but, um, you know, so for <laughs> me, I, I want to be able to work with people and being my authentic self and bring to the table where I can feel secure, comfortable, um, appreciated for who I am for all of it. And that people and work with people who can understand that and we're not judging each other. Um, and I don't know for how I grew up, I always grew up appreciating differences, but you know, I live in reality in the real world and understand that not everybody thinks the way that I do, but I do now understand that you can seek those people and that they do exist. And so that's what I've been aiming to do. Wow. Um, I have so many thoughts going around. So this was a coach who told you like, these are the things were you aware of like, these are my differences that I have to carry into the professional world? Or was that, was that like, was it a shock to you? It's two things. Like, you know, those things, 
I guess I, but at this time, so this with the boss, it was a boss, not the coach. The coach was wonderful. She helped me with these things. Um, but the, okay. the, the boss that said that to me, he, it's like, you're aware of who you are. Up until that point, to be honest with you, when I started, when I moved to San Francisco and I worked in Silicon Valley, it was all the design. And that was that I could be a business person and a professional, but also kind of weird. You know, you see people in working tech, especially in the 90s that had, you know, colorful hair. You'd see brown mm -hmm. people. So for me, I thought it was a way that it was more about what was in my head than everything. But with that said, I do understand that I wanted to cover my tattoos um, and not disclose certain things that might pe make people think I'm weird or strange, um, even though they're not that strange. Um, so when he said that to me, that I think was when for me it started to break down, like the illusion started to break where it wasn't really about those things. People are looking at me as a black woman with weird hair and it's like, oh, the, why can't I laugh? Or he pointed you know, to another person in the company, like she's different. I'm like, but we're different people. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and again, this had, this was a performance review. So I had nothing to do with my performance. Like my actual performance was fine. You know, I was doing everything. I was meeting the goals and doing everything. Um, but I laughed too much. That is so weird. I'm glad you laugh. I enjoy a good laugh. I enjoy your laugh. Um, you know, and, and I, I can't, as a leader, um, I can't imagine having that conversation with, uh, uh, yeah, I, everyone knows, I'm sure listening to this, I'm white. I couldn't imagine having a conversation like that. Um, but is that, I, I, I've been told as I've researched, you know, this uh, equity, diversity, inclusion, and, and those things that as a, a black woman, you, you're aware of those two things. And it, it's, it, it's, it's a weight that you carry and have to carry uh, into, into, well, everywhere, um, that someone like me looks like me. We don't have that. I, mm -hmm. I, I've never been told I laugh too much. Uh, I've been told my jokes aren't funny, uh, plenty well, of times. I haven't been told a lot of things like, um, of being an aggressive talker. It's weird. I think not like I punished myself, but I went through this period of trying to like figure it out. And I save all my performance reviews and, oh, wow. uh, there's a, especially now that there's a language for these things looking bad, you know, say if we, if I'm in, a, if you and I are in a meeting and there's an aggressive conversation and you're making the point and I speak up and I speak just the same as any other person in the meeting, I'm an aggressive talker. Um, and it's interesting. And I know there's things about my personality, like I don't suffer fools wisely and that kind of thing. But I think that, you know, it's, is that any different than any other person? or how they express those things. So it's been really interesting. And also the other odd part for me that makes it weird is, you know, well, people obviously now know that I'm black, but they don't know where I grew up in Southeastern Michigan. They don't know, like my best friend who was telling you about is a white woman. Yeah. You know, even though, I mean, I did grow up with black parents. I went to black church. And so my vision of America or how we're supposed to be, and I was able to shield myself and insulate. I could speak to any other white person in my life in the same manner that I would speak, you know, professionally or out there without 
you know, all of a sudden being an aggressive talker or people being afraid of me or feeling threatened or whatever. You know what I mean? So yeah, it's really interesting. And I think like you kind of live in these two worlds where you know that it's ridiculous and then you go through your life if you want to get certain things that you kind of put up with it or compartmentalize it or you say, yeah. okay, this is just how it is. So if I want to be in this, this space and have this experience and do these things, you mm -hmm. might ignore that off-color remark mm -hmm. or you're not going to tell someone I'm not going to tell this boss that what he said was offensive. So you just kind of suck it up. And I think as we're talking about the authentic self, I feel like that's part of it, that I don't want to have to suck it up or, you know, deal with those sorts of things where I can just in, be in environments where I am myself and people accept me for how I am. And I get to accept and love them too. Because that's really, you know, what it's all about. I want to love everybody and we all want to feel the love back. Yeah, preach. Uh, definitely. How, how it's it's so hard for me to understand and, and I'm a, a pretty empathetic person, but this is I don't think this is a topic that I can fully um, I don't think I, in any way I can I can step myself into as far as your professional life. Like how, how like how much of an emotional load is that? of you navigating this and compartment, the compartmentalizing seems, uh, I wear my emotions on my sleeve. I, I don't know if I, if I'm good at that, if I do it anywhere. Um, like many of our listeners may have not have the incredible opportunity like I do to talk to you about these things in this current time and day, uh, with all that stuff that's going on and ask these questions. So, how do you describe what that's like on a day-to-day -day basis? Cause there's still a lot of, a lot of people uh, that many say, are you know, good people that don't understand. They don't think this goes on. What's that? What's the day-to-day -day load for you in, in, in you that know, regard? You know, Jamie, I didn't really feel the understand it until recently. And I was talking to another, a person that I've worked with over the years, um, you know, off and on, uh, is a PR agency. So we've worked together in different environments. So we've known each other for a really long time. And, you know, he's seen me grow and flounder and they'll see the whole thing. And, you know, when we were talking about it, it's just really interesting because I think I didn't really understand the weight until it was lifted. So now, you know, when I'm working with Carolyn and how we relate and we interact, you know, I didn't really, like I, like now I see all the things that I was worried about, like every little thing, like I couldn't be, I'm, I am an emotional person, by the way, but um, as well, <laughs> but I couldn't always show that range of emotion, whether it's, you know, sadness or anger, because then I have a problem or I'm showing a weakness. And I feel that, you know, it was even little things like dressing, right? Because, you know, yeah. maybe, I don't want to wear the t-shirt. I don't know. You know what I mean? It's just like, yeah. you know, there's just a lot of little, little subtle things that you don't understand that you're carrying on your back. Right. Or, you know, the microaggressions. And I think like I have a better understanding, like reflecting on some of these situations, like, Oh, that's what that was. Because I don't think I had a, an explanation. I just really, to be, if I'm really, really honest here, mm -hmm. I just felt bad about myself. Oh man. That I was, something was wrong with me. 
um, that, you know, why can't I, you know, I have, can have certain relationships that, you know, that I'm making work, but why, you know, what, what am I, how, like, it was hard to understand what exactly I was navigating. And, you know, again, like nowadays, there's a language to talk about these things. Yeah. And I think the kids are doing a great job, not the kids, but, or younger people. I admire what I mean by that is I admire how they speak out. I admire that they take these things on. I admire that they point out some of the things that happen. You know, for me, like there's even been times where I knew that I was getting paid less than everyone and I try to fight to get paid more. But then again, you have to know that if you're a black woman who statistically you get paid less than everyone. And how much can you really fight against that? You know what I mean? Even if it's your coworkers who are doing the same work. I mean, I did have a real instance um, where my boss accidentally sent everyone's salaries to me. I remember um, you telling me that in yeah. the prep call. Yeah. And I think and that I think that's a notion because in this instance, you wouldn't think that any that there were any differences, but then I could see, and even my was wasn't as jarring as one of my coworkers who was a female and who had less experience than me, but the same as her counterpart. And so, you know, when you see these things, it's, you know that they exist and then you can champion for yourself or for your colleagues or the people on your team that you can champion for. But then, you know, these things are going on, a, going on at a way broader level. All right. So Candice, you were talking about the story of when you were accidentally sent uh, the salaries of everyone and how you noticed a real discrepancy there. Yeah. So what I noticed as, at that time that all of the women were getting paid less than men and all of the people of color, there weren't very many of us, so all three of us were getting paid less than the other people um, with the same, mm. the same roles with the similar levels experience. And in fact, one of my colleagues was getting nearly 50% of her counterpart. Wow. Uh, who was on my team. I didn't know that was happening to her. So, um, you know, that was a real eye-opening experience for me. And, you know, I think that we think about that there's a lot of meritocracy here in Silicon Valley, but we don't have transparency around salaries at yeah. a lot of companies. Um, and then you have people who don't know how to advocate for themselves. So if you have a person, if there's a salary range that is a span of $50,000, for example, and people from certain backgrounds or certain personalities aren't going to ask for the top of the range. And a lot of companies aren't just going to give that to them. Yeah. So I think, you know, when, when you, how we talk about salary, how we negotiate salary or begin salary negotiations, it leaves a lot of room for people to support an equitable pay. Yeah. I'm not sure if it's by design or not, but I think that there's things that you, that we could do um, in that area to make sure that people are, are paid equitably. Yeah. Equitably you know, and, and there's a lot of systematic stuff we all need to, to work on. Uh, but as a business owner, I, I have to be honest with you. I had to look, uh, this is about seven years ago and I had to look and I saw a discrepancy. Uh, and, and I, you know, I, I think I had a, a good intentions and a good heart in that. And I think it, 
I, I want to feel like it came out of because one person pushed for it and the other didn't. Uh, and a million things going on in the day, blah, 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 never got to it. But we ha- we now do that every year. And we look at those, uh, we look at our salaries and look at what our women and our men are, uh, employees are making and make sure that they are equitable. And it seems like that's something that, you know, we can, the people that have power, I have a little bit, I, I have two companies, we employ 100 people. Um, I have a little bit of that and to, to make change in that, but I can't imagine what, like I, I've, I, I've always been told, uh, my dad always told me, you know, you don't ever ask anyone what they're making and you don't ever tell anyone what you're making because, exactly. uh, we have a whole, you know, that, that we have a, such a culture around it. I had a boss yeah. that helped me, a person that told me, and she said, when you walked in and you said how much you would accept for that job, we gave it to you because you didn't yeah. know how much you were worth. And I share that with any woman that I mentor as well. I went, you know, they offered me, they made me the offer. And I was like, yes, you know, I'm making more than my mom was at the time or whomever, you know what I mean? And that that's where yeah. a lot of things come into it, like background, what you think you're worth, what you want to ask for. And so I am thankful to her because from that moment on, I knew to ask for more. Yeah. And it's, it's what I've read is specifically with our daughters growing up, uh, that, that uh, teaching them to, uh, to, to know their worth and ask for that, uh, is, is a thing we teach our boys really easily, um, but not something uh, our daughters. So I, I've personally been working on that too. And then now, you know, like I said, we review those, those things. Now you alluded to it earlier, uh, that your experience changed, um, from the beginning. Um, I know you mentioned in the affiliate community, you felt very safe where you could be yourself and then, but that changed. So talk to me about, uh, one, I'm super, it's super exciting or it's, I'm happy to hear that in my industry, our industry, you felt comfortable. Uh, but you kind of talk, you, you talk to me a little about maybe why that, that was. So talk to me about that whole concept that the idea of, you know, it was, uh, safe, uh, in the beginning, but that kind of changed. Well, I wouldn't say it was changed. I think it's certain spaces in the affiliate world. I felt comfortable. There, um, were, I think a lot of unique individuals in the industry of that cover the span of how they are, you know, well, we mentioned Chris earlier to you, to me, to several other people that I love and that I worked with throughout the industry. A lot of people are very different, but I feel, I felt that there was a general attitude of acceptance, that we mm-hmm. were doing deals together and helping each other make money. And that's what we were focused on. And then also, I think when I did engage at Finfiliate Times, there were a lot of times where people could socialize um, and be in a relaxed atmosphere. And I think because maybe it was outside of my company or where I was, I didn't have the same pressures um, in terms of whatever those pressures I felt at the, you know, were surrounding me at the time. So it was always like fun to, you know, you know, as there was more affiliate events, it was like seeing old friends and the mm-hmm. meetings that I had with people, they were always, they're rarely contentious or bad, you know, or anything like that. So I felt like that world was sort of a reprieve because at certain times in my career, particularly when I was doing a lot of affiliate marketing, that was one piece of it. Um, I was also managing high-level partnerships, a team of people 
their research in a, in a myriad of other tasks. So that affiliate world just felt fun. Um, it was a, an area where I was excelling in terms of like growing my own program at that time mm-hmm. and, um, and building relationships. So I think it was like, and it's kind of like life, right? Where sometimes you hang out with your friends and then you can feel relaxed there, but you don't yeah. always feel relaxed when you're, you know, in a, in a different situation. And I think that my takeaway as I've been, you know, on this journey to figure out what makes me feel comfortable. And when I reflect on the affiliate world, it's like, hey, you like that stuff. You like online marketing. You love data. And that's a huge part of you. And, you know, as I went to some of the other kinds of startups that weren't as focused on um, retail or online marketing, I mean, obviously I was doing marketing, but as as a whole, it's just different types of products, whether it's a social mm-hmm. media products or, you know, physical displays or whatever they were, uh, you know, there was a, there's a satisfaction in, into the activities that you get to do surrounding you know, direct and online marketing. So I think for me, it was, it's, it, it's been, a, it was more of a, a place that you could go and feel comfortable where there were other areas in which it wasn't as comfortable or as pleasant in certain ways. Not that it was bad, but it was like, you had to be a different, not a different person, but you know, at that time, if you're going to a corporate meeting, meeting with the CEO of a fortune 500 company, you know, that's different in a way at that time for me than how I felt about going to affiliate market in the affiliate world where I was hanging out with my peers and there's a level of acceptance, you know, like maybe some people yeah. did fly, fly on the private jet or whatever. But at that time, I wasn't familiar as familiar or comfortable operating at that level when I was at that age or at that time in my life. And I know you said you 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 mentioned on our call that you were safe to other people in the corporate environment, you weren't pushing for, uh, you know, their positions, but as you got higher, it kind of, you, you became aware more of maybe the glass ceiling or, uh, these other things we talked about earlier that, uh, you you know, your, uh, an old boss said you can't laugh because of these things. Mm -hmm. And now as you're, you're, you're becoming more successful and, and more comfortable in the space and pursuing bigger positions. Now you're, you're maybe, uh, is it more threatening is the the word? Does that make sense? Yeah, I'm not sure what it is, you know, where, and I feel like in that world, you know, I feel like maybe I've been able to break it because I'm working with a woman now and we share, have similar values. And I think like, I don't, necessarily blame the other people or all of the teams things have to be a fit and i think like you know we have to look at i've tried i thought some of them were going to be a fit but they weren't and i think is that you know when we think about what is a cultural fit and then a a company has every right to have their culture and who they are and i think you know for me it's finding again you know going back to finding people where I really fit in and feel comfortable. And I've had a, it's really, so this has really been a serious journey for me because I've actually yeah. gone back and talked to a few of these guys um, wow. of the CEOs about, and had some, you know, different levels of conversations with people, but also some real conversations. And that's where, you know, we're all operating from what we know. And I think a lot of them were as well, right? 
Um, yeah. I think we ha all have had an opportunity to grow and learn, learn, you know, who we are and the roles we played in those situations. I mean, maybe not all of them. So, I, you know, but I haven't had any that were like, well, a few that were kind of, you know, not as great as others. But I am fortunate that I've been able to have some real conversations about what happened at the time with a few of these people. And I think, you know, there's all sorts of layers of relationships. You know, in one case, you know, I got on better with one of the founders and the other than the other and the one who hired me. And, you know, I think like in that one, I would, my lesson learned is, you know, you can fall in love. I call it business love. I fall in love a lot, you know, business. So not real love, but business love with one of the founders. And you have to make sure that you're solid with that other person as well especially yeah. if it's a small team in an early stage company where, you know, if one person doesn't, that you don't jive necessarily, or they don't share your values, it's not really going to work out. And I think, again, I, even as a society, especially with everything that has happened over the summer, it gave us all an opportunity to reflect. Um, some mm -hmm. of the people reached out to me. And at first I was, you know, kind of felt weird, like, um, yeah. dude, I don't know. I, I don't know if I want to talk about these th things with people. So even this is fresh for me being able to talk about it. Like this is the second time other than the jumble and flow article with really mm -hmm. sharing my uh, authentically sharing my experience. So even at the time with people I was in it with that wanted to talk, some of them, I felt, um, did I want to bring it to talk about it? Do yeah. we want to even go there? Could I be honest in real? Um, where I did make the choice to do so. And I do think that they were productive conversations. And I think one of the things for me, I had been holding on, like, I wanted to say these things. I wanted to tell them why I really left. And I it was, you know, I wanted to get it off my chest. Yeah, yeah. Funny. Let them have it. It was really funny. First of all, I didn't do a good, I didn't really let them have it. I wanted to let them have it or something, but I mm -hmm. didn't. It was more of a, you know, just a nice conversation. And I realized I didn't need it as much as I thought I did. Um, which was really interesting feeling, you know, it was like, or maybe I had grown and worked on some of the things, but it was interesting to, you know, to share and, and really dig in, you know, on a professional level, you know, I think it was a, re a real conversation, at least on my end. And I think also from his, but, um, to be able to have that conversation was really great. And I think for me, put some of it to bed in terms of what we were talking about earlier, like how I felt at that time. I felt bad and disrespected. And, mm. and in that instance, I left because I really couldn't take it anymore. And, you know, I really, and, and I had no words to describe it. And one of my coworkers, I, my, who also became a friend, we were driving after a meeting one day um, and I said, oh my God, I don't understand why is going on? Why was, why isn't anyone listening to me? And he looked me dead in the face and said, it's don't you get it? It's because you're a black woman. Wow. And I said, what, what? And I think he was right. And that's where I say like, for me, it's been over the last several years, kind of even an education in it where, yeah. and it's not like, and it's not like this, this guy is a, you know, a my age white person who pointed it out. Like, I felt like he was sharing the knowledge. This is what's going on. This is how it is, dude. Oh, wow. Um, 
And it, actually another person, so in that where for me, I didn't feel crazy. There was something going on. And another person, a younger person, um, he also said the same thing, not so subtly. And he introduced me to another CEO that I ended up working with after that, actually. Um, wow. Yeah. And again, when I talking, like, I don't think he, at the time, he, he really understood and knew how his partner was treating me. Um, yeah. And then it's hard to get specific about what it is because that person is just kind of that way. You know, because I'm a woman, he treated other women felt uncomfortable. Is it because I'm black? And it's hard to really say or pinpoint those things. So it's also hard for everyone to talk about. And I also don't, often is it all of that? Like, is it, you know, there's a hint of probably a number of things for all of us with what we bring to the table when we see someone that doesn't look like us or present the, the, themselves in a way that we perceive them to be. Yeah. And it seems like there's enough there can be enough ambiguity to allow someone to skirt around all those issues uh, to the point of, well, that's, that's how this person is Mm -hmm. uh, instead of uh, yeah. And that's not good enough. Uh, (laughs) And you don't have to always be like that. I, I, my coach would, I'd I'd tell my coach a long time ago, well, that's how I am. He goes, well, then why the hell are you here? (laughs) If, If you're comfortable with who you are and that's, that's it. Why are you talking to me? You've had the, some of these conversations, like what, what, would you, you know, if you, what would you tell white leaders? Uh, you know, what, what do you want them to know? How, how, how do they discover this? And, and you may not have the answer, um, but you, you've had a long successful career. You're, uh, uh, you know, successful, uh, lots of expertise and, and you have this experience. What do you, what do you tell them if, about this? Yeah, that's been the real challenge, you know? So there's a few things that I that come off the top of my head. Like, as far as people of color, it's hard to for us to tell people exactly what to do or how to change their behavior. You know, first yeah. of all, I think as a person, you know, is treat all of your employees equally, including your people of color. Uh, uh, understand that people come from different areas and different backgrounds. And like a person like me, you know, it's pretty ridiculous sometimes. Like when, for me, when I see people who, you know, you, they think they're automatically better than me. And like, I grew up just like you and it's probably the same neighborhood. You know, I went, you know, you don't know who people are. So I think you should just in general, accept people as people. And I think a lot of times we have, as people have a hard time doing that. And I want to, you know, I'm thankful to my mother and how I grew up because I, I, I had the opportunity that if you were rich or if you were poor, you were a person and you were in our circle and yeah. you were embraced with love. If you were white, if you were black, if you were Latino, if you were no matter what you are, you know, and that's how I grew up and how I got to see people and see love. And that's how I try to interact with people in the world, you know, no matter who you are. And I wish that more people and more leaders did the same because no matter what, if someone maybe isn't in the same station in life as you, they may begin to be, or maybe you can help them up. So that's one thing I think as a leaders that we should think about how we help people up, no matter who they are, whether it's, you know, the boss who gave me a clue, um, 
I'm talking about the female about salaries or, mm-hmm. or little things can really, really help in people's life. If you have someone that you're not relating to as a leader, maybe take a moment, sit down with them and try to relate, understand where they're coming from, because that could be a learning lesson for you. I would say also another thing for leaders is really listen to feedback from your team, whether it's directly from the employer or other people. I think even in the performance review process, and a lot of people don't have 360 reviews, and then on top of that, a lot of people don't really listen. You may have someone, an employee who is sharing something with you that isn't really easy to hear. And then instead of writing that person off, maybe take it to heart. I'm not saying that you have to take everything in because not you know, into who you are. But I think that what I see a lot is that people don't really take those opportunities for feedback when they present themselves. And mm-hmm. it's hard for them because they don't pre- they present themselves few and far between. If you're in a position of leadership, someone's not going to tell you that you're not doing a great job in certain areas. Someone's not going to tell you that you're a horrible manager. Someone's not going to tell you that, you know, you said this off the cuff thing that makes me feel this way. But someone around you may tell you, another manager may tell you, one of your peers may tell you, and you should listen to them. Mm-hmm. And then that can help you do better. I mean, at least that's how I feel with any relationship in my life. You know, if someone's telling me, you know, hey, dude, you could do a little better. It's not like I take that with a grain of salt. I take it. I understand it. I process it. And then then what can I learn from this situation? And I think that as leaders, that's something we could do. And like, and I do think that will and how that relates to the issue of race is in general, if you're making people feel comfortable, heard, understood, then they're going to. Well, that also, I think it will impact their performance and their ability to feel comfortable on the job and with you as a as a manager. You know, I've never been a fan of 360 reviews, I think, just because they take more time. Mm -hmm. And that's embarrassing to say out loud. Uh, But one of uh, one of my leaders at JEB uh, did uh, requested feedback and he got some really good stuff. It was really valuable uh, to hear anonymously from his staff um, what he needed to work on. But it, it, it seems like that's a, that's a big deal. Now, my last question on, on this topic is, um, you know, what, what do you tell women, specifically women of color, in regards to, to equitable pay and their, their, uh, their space in the, the professional world? You know, what advice, what instruction, what guidance do you give, do you give to them? I'd say, know your worth. Um, when you're going into a job situation, understand the salary for the job and what it's offering. Understand what your, how, what your skills are and how you match up. And then um, ask for what you deserve. And it's hard because like this is the hard thing. Sometimes you want to take a position and you know that you're not getting what you're worth, right? But you might be getting something yeah. out of it. So I wouldn't necessarily tell someone, I don't know if I would tell someone not to take the job necessarily, um, but maybe not stay for very long and get what you need out of it so you can go to the next gig with that skill set. Um, I would say get female mentors to help talk you through this and understand what you're worth um, and to share. Because, you know, right now in this conversation, there's a, probably a number of things that to share that would make this conversation go even longer. But I would encourage women to talk to each other. And also... I feel like we're in a in a time where you can work with women and with men who are open-minded. 
and that I would I would encourage people to understand the values of the team that they're working with and ensure that those those values are aligned with their own values and that those in values include inclusivity and equity and seek out companies where they've made the decisions and worked with as a team for that type of inclusion. That's what, you know, so I think I would just encourage that to know the company and know your worth and target companies that appreciate um, certain values like equity and equal. Outstanding. So one of the, the other thing I wanted to, one of the other things wanted to talk to you about is you've demonstrated. And and when we were chatting before, uh, uh, before this call, um, one thing I noticed is you had a really incredible way of crafting your current experience to fit a position you wanted that you you hadn't done before. So a lot of times, you know, when I'm working with my staff is I'm always letting them know like, Hey, this thing that you just really got good at, this is what it's called outside of our industry. And here's how you could parlay that into, uh, something, you know, greater down the road. Then you may, you may look outside my company to go do this. You've done that a number of times. Uh, I think, uh, with your presentation for performance, which do you still have it? I had to ask. I actually do. That's fantastic. I wish this was video. I'd have you throw it up. (laughs) (laughs) I would have had to been prepared though, because it's yeah. (laughs) That's great. Uh, Hopefully, someday we can uh, hang out together and and I could see that. But you've done a great job of, and I've I've done a poor job of teaching that concept of, you know, taking your experience and and presenting it in a way to get that, the, the job above my, my dad's always talking about this. I'm not done a good job of it. So talk to me about that. What, how is it done? Where did that come from? Like, is that, you know, how did you know to do that? Man, I don't know if it's just a hustle factor, but in each case I had decided that I wanted to do something. So I, like with the theater, I had never really worked in a theater before in college, but I talked to the ladies at my previous job and told them, I hadn't even done marketing before, really, but I, I wanted to, I love theater, love, love theater. <laughs> um, so I, I, so even that's the first time I just talked, I actually worked at a career center in college before this, so that could be where it came from. And I had people that I talked to all about getting jobs and they coached people on getting jobs all the time. And so they were like, why don't you go to the board? We had a job board and they said, pick the one that you want. And, you know, do it based on like your interests and whatever. So I did it. I went to the board and I'm like, okay, we're going to help you get this job. And they also endorsed me because they liked me and we, we had fun together. So that was the first time. And I think maybe that instilled something into me. And I think part of it's hustle. So, you know, when going from working the theater and doing marketing in the theater, all of those skills were transferable, graphic design. Um, partnerships, basically, you know, I had to talk to people and make agreements and work with small theater companies. Um, my section in the theater, we smoked, we focused on youth education programs. So I had, my job was to market them, collect the money for the, from the teachers. I also did in school workshops where I talked to people. So all of those skills in college, I think as much as my in-school work, they helped me prepare for a job. And I also got to work with, again, a wonderful group of people that, you know, taught me that, taught me at the time that my skills were transferable. 
So each time I just try to dive into that. And usually it's a targeted thing. Like now I want to work at a, and when I moved to San Francisco, I wanted to work at a more early stage startup and I had you know, put the feelers out there. And fortunately I met Marina, the woman that introduced me to Stampfish. And then again, I just was, I pulled from what I pulled for performance. Like, okay, what are my skills that I have here? I have marketing skills. I understand data. I understand direct marketing. I understand affiliate marketing. Yeah, I haven't managed programs, but this is what I do know. I know what marketers are doing. I've done all of this research. And so I specifically, you know, wrote those things down, hammered it home. And like they at Snapfish, they gave me a test, a math test. You know, I, I think they gave it to everyone to ensure that I understood CPAs and the different metrics. And I mm. that based on, you know, again, I had to practically manage clients, but I knew math and I knew, you know, what our clients had been doing at Performix to be successful. And then after that, when I went away and wanted to go to more early stage startups, then it became for me about technology because that Snapfish, the other part of it is at the time, man, I'm feeling old in this call, but um, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> cameras were a new thing um, <laughs> at the time. And I think that that kind of piqued my interest in what other new technologies there were. And as they were making advancements in online marketing, when I went to the next job, you know, I had never worked with artificial intelligence before or anything yeah. like that, but I had worked with strategic partnerships, um, you know, making deals, uh, doing trade shows and other things that needed to be done at that company. Um, so that, again, every time I try to just dive into what I can do and I'm doing it as I've targeted positions that seemed interested, interesting to me or where I wanted to, you know, go into a different industry and then really honed in on positions like what I did in my search and then was really thoughtful in those instances, what I found positions in my search that I wanted to go for where I told that story, like the cover letter, you know, in the in jobs that I've really wanted, I've usually done, you know, a little something to go the extra mile mm -hmm. if I could, if I didn't know them already, or if I wasn't introduced to them through word of mouth, because that gives you a different leg up. Um, so making sure I take that time on the cover letter. So I, I'm really telling that story about who I am and why I think that my skills are a good fit. And then making sure that my resume highlighted the, the skills that they were seeking in their job description and that sort of thing. So those are some practical ways that I did it. That's outstanding. I, I appreciate you sharing. Now, what I want to talk about next, If are you still good on time? Yep, I'm good. Okay. So you talked about being your authentic self. And part of that is doing the things that you're passionate about and, and also working in a, in a place that you're passionate about. So now papers and ink is uh, where you're at and you are uh, you guys. So, well, tell me what, what does papers and ink, uh, what do you guys do? And this is an, this is an area that you're very passionate about. Yeah. So papers and ink sells. Listen to me stumble around it. <laughs> papers and ink sells um, custom printed rolling papers. So we sell organic hemp rolling papers in several unique designs. And to be clear, I don't know if my passion is rolling papers, but my passion is yeah. around smoking marijuana. And we talk, I touched on a little bit about my MS um, and I have multiple sclerosis and I was a casual marijuana user, you know, when I was younger and everything, but it really does help me therapeutically. 
when I got diagnosed in 08, I started doing more research around, you know, how marijuana helps um, multiple sclerosis. There's actually some studies out there on this. And it changed, you know, the way I smoked and what I smoked um, that, you know, so that I can help improve my health. I am not on any pharmaceutical drugs. I haven't been in a long time. Wow. Um, so I manage it, you know, through when we, when we talked about my M's before. So my yeah, M's, yeah. yeah, movement, meditation, my medicine slash marijuana, moisture, you know, meals, and then getting massage because that helps, you know, with some of my muscles get really, really tight. So, um, so with that, that is a part of my life. And it's something that I do and, and it is fun and great to work with someone also who has a passion for the plant. And then for both of us working in accessories, especially we love to touch the plant, but right now accessories is a good entree and, mm-hmm. um, and frankly, easier to go to market in certain ways, which we can talk about a little bit. Yeah. I, <laughs> I'd love to, what was the overall reaction as you kind of settled into this space and and, you know, you talked uh, to me about, you know, you kind of coming out and saying, I- I'm a marijuana user, recreational and for health. And this is who I am. Like, how was what was the reaction like? I think for the most part, anyone who knew me well, they already knew. And then as far as professionally, I haven't really I don't I haven't um, because now if I'm, I'm working in the industry, I don't have to sweat that as much. So that's what's exciting for me. And I don't know, I mean, maybe others are judging, but I don't have to know about it right now. And I'm really good being in that (laughs) space. (laughs) I'll delete those comments anyway, if they, if they say anything, (laughs) (laughs) no judgment zone here. (laughs) So what, like I, uh, uh, my kids are going to listen to this, so I'm going to skip the whole part of telling you about college and things. Uh, (laughs) But the marketing of, in this area, in the area of marijuana, where, how is it different? And, and I wrote down the question of like, what is even available to you? Um, yeah. Talk to me about the marketing of this. So it's interesting because um, marketing restriction and advertising restriction for cannabis varies city to city and to county to county and at state levels. And so we have some crossover with some of the marijuana restrictions. And then also it's almost like, marketing um, cigarettes or uh, alcohol. So, you know, making sure that we're hitting our audiences that are over 21. The thing like with social media, that's, it's a little tricky because as with a business account, if we do ads, we can't show buds. Um, And also there's issues with our, with financial processors. So there's certain things that we can't do. And like technically on Instagram, you're not supposed to advertise smoking related products. So we can have them in our feed, but if we tag a product, for example, it may or may not be able to go through and we get shadow banned every once in a while as well. So that's, you know, that gets tricky for us there. And um, so in, in general with Facebook and Instagram, again, that's, you know, with other things, if you're selling a shirt or, you know, other piece of apparel or something like that, that could be an easy way you know, to target people and place ads. But unfortunately for us, that channel is not available. Um, we are, we, our affiliate program is new and we're a small team. So anybody working with marketing gets, gets to work with me. Um, and that channel we want to build up because that's one of the opportunities 
in terms of what's working well for us is our influencers. We created a program called Blazers and Trailblazers. <laughs> Love it. And yeah, so they can um, talk about the products for us and they can post themselves smoking on their channels and whatnot. So that has been working out well and we want to grow our Blazers and Trailblazers program through our curated group of influencers, also through our affiliate program as well. Um, and then also content is key and having people write about us and write about what we do, whether that's on affiliate level or outside of the affiliate level. And that's one of our goals too for this year is to beef up our content marketing. Um, and then, you know, anything that really promotes the word of mouth or other people sharing is great. Um, we also do, we have a few other programs to get product in people's hands that even if not, if they're not as an engage of a relationship as a blazer and one of our blazer and trailblazers, but we do try to get it in people's hands so that, that they can share it and help us spread the word about the products. So since you're not actually selling the plant, you, you can, you're probably not running into the whole federal versus state uh, legal issue of, of the plant itself. Right. No, we're not right now. And, and, you're, and we're not selling any CBD products either. Gotcha. It's quite only accessories. Gotcha. So it's, it's it sounds out. like it sounds like the the avenue is through intermediaries, whether that's affiliates that's right. or uh, influencers, content producers is is the main thrust of how you market something like this. That's right. And where's your affiliate program? What uh, what network is on? Is it on? And did you find any problems finding the right network because of this industry that you're in? Well, right now, our I think our constraint may not be the network. We went with Refersion for right now. Gotcha, gotcha. Now, did you did you look at all the the networks that you've had experience yeah, with in the so past? Right now, we've only been available for a year. So one of the concerns is that I don't personally right now the the team is small. And so right now I'm managing it and I wanted us to get a way to be able to facilitate transactions and pay people quickly without putting out the, all the fees for a more robust program in this moment. <clears throat> and I, that's why I say in this moment and for right now, <laughs> um, because we are, we are open to switching, but this is our temporary fix right now. And it's integrated with Shopify and integrates with Shopify easily. And that's who we're using for our, store right at the moment. Gotcha. Gotcha. That's really interesting it, it, to see how a product that, you know, has yeah, more challenges marketing it than anything I've done in the past. Um, uh, have has the, the affiliate channel, is that what, what, uh, portion of your, your marketing is that, is that a big thrust for you right now? In this moment, so I'd say like our mix right now is pretty spread and we're in, in testing mode. So the most right now I would say would come through our influencers and our gotcha. Instagram, followed by affiliate last. And we do have affiliate deals with some of our blazers. So, so there's some crossover between the affiliates and our blazers and trailblazers as well. There, depending on who they are. Um, so I think that's our mix right now. But what I would like to see is to grow the affiliate piece of it. And frankly, to be honest, because we've been getting a lot off the ground in this moment, you know, with the new business, getting, you know, getting uh, other things set up, even smaller things and being a team 
of myself at the moment that I haven't been able to spend as much time as I'd like to there. And as I think there's a lot of, from based on my past experience, as we discussed, there's a lot of opportunity. Yeah, definitely. Um, Right now, you know, we're in the planning phase, you know, whether it's outsourcing it, you know, carving out some of more of my time to dive in instead of doing more active management instead of passive management right now. Yeah. That's where we we are having these discussions, like literally right now. Now, have you seen any of the more traditional affiliates that, uh, you know, you and I grow up working with enter this area? Are are they, uh, I've never had to look at it. So are they entering into uh, complementary products, uh, things to use along with marijuana? I think some are. Um, because again, right now, due to legalization, which is awesome, is that there's a more of a mainstreaming of marijuana and people yeah. talking about it, um, whether it's like CBD products or cute rolling papers. It's a little bit different. The stigma is releasing. Frontier Data has a lot of good data around the industry. And I was in a seminar, and that's one of the things that they were talking about recently is that you know the decreasing stigma around marijuana making it more accessible i mean can you imagine like you can buy cbd cbd products and cbs and walgreens now yeah yeah. nobody would have imagined that several years i certainly wouldn't have or being able to go to my small town and have legal marijuana like a store out by the grocery you know what i mean it's so oh yeah so different i was thinking that when you mentioned earlier about uh you know tattoos and and crazy hair how times have changed and like we're progressing towards good things i hope some of these other things that we talked about uh are are become more acceptable and 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 uh you know we move forward with those uh as as well um now if if any of those traditional affiliates if they're interested i'm assuming you are interested in talking to them about oh, yes. Uh, yes yes i am please gotcha Okay, well, I have my last question uh, before I let you go and enjoy the rest of your day is, is how important is it to like who you work for, the company you work for, and the product that you sell? Oh, it's so important. Um, to me, it's like the num- all of those things are key, you know, and, and each time, I mean, we all have instances where we think it's going to be that way and it just doesn't work out. Um, And I think through each of those, I've learned, you know, to ask more questions or understand more. And even maybe as I've evolved to want to present more of my authentic self, it's presented me with different opportunities, um, you know, because we all have to own things as well. So those are super important to me. And in, in each instance, I've tried to work with products that I like or that I'm very interested in and that I want to learn. People are huge because, you know, again, like I love that. You know, when I'm talking to Carolyn, we end our meetings with I love you and stuff like that. You know, I know that's rare. That's not going to happen all the time. But it's a level that I wanted to achieve and I like it. Or, you know, with even with Amy and Jemma LaFoe, all the people, I want to shout her out, too, because I do feel the same way, a level of mutual respect and um, I a passion about what we're working on and how we work together. And I, I just I hope for everyone to be able to achieve that because it's really important. And I want to can achieve, to continue with that vibe. And as I move forward, you know, you never know what happens or what happens next, but I want to continue 
you know, working with people that were, there's a, I love the products, I love them, and uh, we love working together. Outstanding. Yeah, I agree. When you love the people you work with and the product you sell, sure makes that third of your life uh, a heck of a lot more fulfilling. For sure. Now, uh, Candice, if any affiliates want to get a hold of you, to work with you with Papers and Ink, or anyone wants to get a hold of you, how can they reach out to you? How can they follow you? Um, and then we'll include those all in the, the show description as well. Yeah, my email is Candice, C-A-N-D-I-C-E, at papersandink.com. So feel free to reach out to me with any questions or ideas or for partnership. I would love it. And then um, Papers and Ink is on social and Instagram at Papers and Ink Sesh and, and also on Facebook at Papers and Ink Sesh. You can check out jumbleandflow.com uh, to read some content, the content for women in their midlife who are going through their jumble and flows. And, and also you can reach on Instagram at jumble and flow. Um, and if you're interested in my handmade incense, you can hit us there on Instagram at F and Relax. Yeah, at F and Relax and at F and Relax.com. And that's F N Relax.com. E F F I N. E F F. Gotcha. Outstanding. Well, I'll include all those uh, in our show notes. Candace, I can't thank you enough uh, for spending uh, an hour and 25 minutes with me, restarting your computer so we could get this done in the, in the beginning, checking different headsets, and just your transparency and vulnerability in these topics. Uh, today. And, and I, I so appreciate it. It's it's so important to get other people's perspectives, especially now things are so divided. And I, I think people are uh, uh, are so afraid to talk about this stuff that it's just been an honor to uh, listen to you and to be able to ask you questions. Uh, and I really appreciate uh, your time today. I think uh, this is the longest podcast we had. And there are five big questions I didn't even get to. So I, I hope you're okay if uh, I invite you back on to continue the discussion and, and continue to learn about what you're doing. But uh, huge thanks. I really enjoyed this time. Uh, it was very eye-opening and educational. And uh, I love your laugh. So, you know, we definitely want to continue to hear more of that. Oh, thank you. I don't want to thank you for your time and thank you for reaching out to me and giving me the opportunity to share my story. So I just want to appreciate you and and give you that love. So thank you so much for having me. No, it has been a pleasure. So we will go and uh, we will plan for another uh, episode and bring you back on and talk about all the other things that uh, we were planning to talk about and didn't get to. But Candace, thank you so much. Thank you. Have a great rest of your day. Wow. What an incredible almost hour and a half. Thank you, Candace, so much for uh, taking so much of your time today uh, and being with me on, on this podcast. I so appreciate your candor, your vulnerability, and your transparency and all of these things that we talked about. My eyes have definitely been open uh, to a lot of things. Uh, and, you know, it's kind of funny to, I think I stumbled more around saying the word marijuana than our discussion of race and, and your experience in the, in the workplace. Um, for those listening, really want to encourage you to go back, listen to that again. Uh, there is so much going on in the world right now, and we have the ability to impact it in a great, great way. And it begins with listening. 
listening leads to empathy, empathy uh, to love and love to change. So really want you to go back and listen to some of these things uh, that Candace talked about and, and really imagine what if this is the experience that every person of color has in the workspace? What would it be like for you if you had to enter in every day and compartmentalize uh, like Candace has talked about? What would it look like if everyone you knew had to do the same thing? And now what can we do about it? I know what we're doing about it. We're gonna be looking at our salaries to make sure that they're equitable. We're gonna make sure that we reach out into those communities and make sure our positions are available and that, and continually review to make sure that we're doing the equitable thing. Uh, so I really want you to encourage that. Candice, thank you so much. Such an important conversation. I so appreciate you being so vulnerable uh, and, and candid with me. Uh, now, as always, if you need any help with your affiliate marketing or this conversation, you can give you can get a hold of me at gethelp at jbcommerce.com. You can also make time uh, to discuss any of these topics. Uh, uh, I will tell you to go talk to Candice if you want to talk about uh, marketing within the marijuana sector. And we'll include all her information in the show notes. Uh, but if you need anything at all, you can go to Kenley.com slash Jamie Birch and set up time. And if you would like to be a guest on this podcast, please email me at gethelp at jebcommerce.com. And definitely check out Jumble and Flow and Papers and Ink and reach out to Candace if you have any needs, especially if you're an affiliate and you want to get into this, this incredibly emerging market right now. You want to jump on and take advantage of that opportunity. Candace would love to work with you. We've included all that information in our show notes again. So thank you very much for listening. And if you thought this episode was great, please share it. Social media, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, um, any of those, please uh, share this episode. We would love to get a review, a five-star review at Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, uh, Spotify, or any of the podcast players that you listen to. And definitely spread the word. Uh, if you thought this was valuable, spread the word. Thank you and have a great day.